I don't mean to be so uptight But my heart's been hurt a couple times By a couple guys that didn't treat me right I ain't gonna lie, I ain't gonna lie Alexa, play Meant to Be Okay If it's meant to be, it'll be, it'll be Baby, just let it be If it's meant to be with Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Flaw 700. Welcome back to the 700 Block, the podcast. And this week, I'm joined via Skype, author Danya Williams. She wrote the book, Comes to the Light. Um, she's coming straight out of the D.C. area. And this is a special interview for me because she actually wrote us on the com and was interested in coming on the show and speaking her piece so i appreciate that because that shows that the hard work that we put in is being noticed and i like it when people that's doing things try to mix it up with us because we doing things and we come together and we make things happen so ladies and gentlemen author danya williams Hi, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, coming on. Um, first off, let the um, people know a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I'm Danya, and I am a genealogical researcher. I've been researching for 25 years, and um, in my research, I've found uh, some extraordinary things that I wrote about in a book. Um, I'm a mo- single mom of four. I take care of my mother as well, and I'm just, you know, pushing forward through this life. Yeah, uh, you got a lot on your plate, but you got to keep grinding, man. I know a lot of people don't like to hear that, but we all got to keep grinding. But salute to you and your grind. Um, when did, oh, no problem. When did you realize you wanted to be an author? Um. That's a great question because, to be very honest with you, I still haven't realized that I wanted to be an author. It may sound funny, but this book was really written through me by our, by my ancestors. Mm-hmm. It was something that I wasn't even trying to do. Um, it wasn't anything that I was looking forward to doing, but everything about this book, literally from the what's inside of it to the actual cover of the book, was all done by my ancestors. So, nice. I mean, the, the story about my ancestors as far as the cover, the front cover of the book is 200 family surnames. Mm. And that's how many surnames that I've connected myself to. So I woke up one morning and just to go to the bathroom, it was like 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the morning. And um, I went to the bathroom and when I went to go lay back down, I had this thought in my head, and it was like, yeah, you should do the cover um, with the family surname. And I had my eyes closed because I was going back to sleep, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going I'm to get right on that when I wake up. And then a, another thing came in my head. It was like, yeah, you can um, highlight the certain names that you're talking about in the book. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's really great. I'm, yeah, I'm going to get on that as soon as I wake up. I still close. And then I heard it again. It was like, yeah, and if you don't have any more, you know, if you need more names to highlight, then you can highlight those names. And I opened up my eyes, and I was like, you're really not going to let me do this. You're not, you're not going to let me go to sleep. So 4 o'clock in the morning, I was up designing this particular book cover. So this is what I mean by 
this wasn't done by me. This was done by the ancestors in every which way and shape and form. Right. So you were chosen and you accepted your responsibility. Pretty much. Right. right. <laughs> that That is dope, um, the way you painted that, because that's how some ideas come. Like, you know... Sometimes you want to do something, but you don't know when to start or how to start it. And then one little idea hits you and then it leads to another and another. So that's right. Right. So it's kind of like, don't think that you're going to have it all just by sitting there for five to 10 minutes. And then you get frustrated. Like, I have no idea what I want to write about or do. Just go relax, chill. And the idea is going to hit you. <laughs> yeah. It's going to come. It's, it's gonna definitely going to come. Yeah, don't force it. How long did it take for you to write this book? Um, Originally, I was a part of two earlier um, book groups. So the first book group started, I think, about five years ago. And this book, which is now at 14, is, is 14 chapters, was originally one chapter. Mm. And... It didn't work out with that particular first group, and then I was writing with a second group, and the book, my book, turned into three chapters. That one chapter turned into three. And it didn't work with that particular group. And then finally, my cousin Sheila, she was like, look, you just need to write this yourself, and there it is. So I I would say five years. Wow, nice. Before we go too far, I know you mentioned what the book is called. But can you give us a summary of actually what the book is about? Sure. The book is um, about my it's about my journey and research and my family and, and the information that I found in the midst of it. And the information that I found um, took me to a place called Edgeville, South Carolina. And I learned everything from learning that my four-time great-grandfather may be the father to two-thirds of the county, if not the entire county. Mm. Um, I learned that there was people, I learned a lot about slavery, stuff that I really didn't learn that I did not learn in school. I learned things about a man named Robert Abbott, who was, um, the, he's the founder of a newspaper that's still going on today called the Chicago Defender, and how he was credited for moving 500,000 people during the Negro, during the Great Negro Migration during the 1900s to the 1970s. Nice. So I, I just started getting information that I, I never knew. I started to pick up stuff that should have been taught in school, but wasn't. Okay. So you figured out a lot of things that you didn't know. So I want to know two or three. Let's just keep it two or three things that you learned from your research that just blew your mind. And you were just like, wow, I had no idea. Okay, so are we talking about as far as my family is concerned or something that I thought should have been in history books that we all should have learned? Mm, well, you know what? Let's do both. I mean, if you have three as far as your family and three for the history books, or you could just combine the three. Okay, well, one, of course, is like I told you about Mr. Stack, um, Mr. Abbott. I thought that that was just fascinating to learn that he is actually credited for moving 500,000 African-Americans from the South to the North. He was the reason why. He was a, a big push as to why the Great Negro Migration even happened. And this wasn't in school books. This isn't in school books to, the de- to this day. Um, I also learned, family-wise, that there's a picture 
Preston Brooks, and he's holding a cane over another guy. We all know Charles Sumner. This was the abolitionist who was very much into freeing slaves. And um, he got beat on the Senate floor because he did that. Well, I learned that Preston Brooks, the man that beat him, is my three-time great-grandfather. Mm. That one right there just took me for a loop because that was another one of those epiphanies that was help from the ancestors that guided me and directed me to find that information. And then um, another thing uh, that I learned, family and should be in history books, was about my cousin, John Geldell. John Geldell, <laughs> John Geldell was a man who, um, in the, he was born in 1860. He was born on a slave plantation. And he basically hid his identity from everybody because he was accused of a murder that had gone that had happened during a riot in Edgefield, South Carolina back in eighteen eighty four. He is amazing because of the fact that in that riot, during that after that riot was over, he got away. And according to the census record, he was illiterate. He could not read, he could not write. But as you go along and you find and you read about him, you find out that he put himself through school at Wilberforce University. He um, changed his name to Reverend Elijah Fleming, and he be became a reverend. He, he took care of himself and changed his whole identity in five years. Mm. Everything about him happened in five years, and his story is so profound because it was something like the O.J. Simpson trial or things that are going on today because he was almost killed of a murder that he had nothing to do with. Mm. Well, I don't know if he didn't have anything to do with it, but... So you said it was, you're 100 percent sure OJ had nothing to do with it. <laughs> I changed the whole thing. <laughs> just changed that up. Yeah. But nevertheless, yeah, he was. He, it was a very similar, very similar trial. It got to the point. You know how when OJ put the glove on and um, what's what's his name? His lawyer. He was like, Johnny if the Cochran. glove don't fit, right, if Co when Cochran said the glove don't fit, then you can't commit. Right, you must well, quit. Said, yeah, you must yeah, you you must acquit. So he had that same type of thing that happened to him because of something that the governor of Philadelphia, not the governor of Philadelphia, the governor of South Carolina said. He made a comment ensuring his safety. And during that time, you know, South Carolina was they're the ones that fired the first shot in the Civil War. Mm. Oh, was, they were the ones that was just always against the Constitution. Well, he made a comment where he actually came on and said, we always follow the rules. Well, that that just, that was like the glove. Mm. Because at that point, South Carolina was now on trial, and they had to acquit him if they wanted to look like they were going to give him a fair trial. So to me, he never really got a fair trial because of that one comment that this that governor at the time, Richardson, said. So it's very parallel. Everything that I um, that I found throughout my history, and it started to become very parallel to the things that are going on today, as far as race and 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 the political climate and just how things are. And I often wonder where John Yeldell would be today because during that time, African Americans were Republicans. Mm, drop them gems. 
I mean, that's what it is. African-Americans during that time were Republicans. And those who were racist to a certain degree or against uh, anti or for slavery were Democratic. Mm. I mean, my three-time great-grandfather was a Democrat. So this is why you hear people saying, I don't know why black people are are Democrats. They don't have no business being Democrats. They're the ones that enslaved them. Mm. Well, that's not true. The bottom line is that they all enslaved. You know, you know that's that's the bottom line. Everybody enslaved. The, the whole thing was enslaved. Both sides were racist. However, if you take somebody like Strom Thurmond, for example, who everybody connects with racism, no matter how you say his name, he was a Democrat first. He switched over to Republican. Right. So how do you go? This, this is what's going on. These are the things that are happening. So when someone questions me about why I'm Democratic, I explain it to them. I can tell them. And then they can't say nothing else to me after that. And I think it's that type of information that needs to be let out to people instead of them constantly spitting this this information, this wrong, or as they call it nowadays, revision history. That's incorrect. It's all incorrect. And all of this is in the book. Um. Yes, it is. Okay. Okay. It, it, it's done in the story. Format. It's done. It's not a boring book. It could be very boring, but it's not. It's, it's done in story format. It's done in in ways that I can find that I was able to express to everybody else how my feelings were and what it was that I started to learn about different things in my family and just in American history in itself. Definitely, man. Y'all definitely look out for this book. Comes to the light. Learning about the entangled families of Edgefield County, South Carolina. Y'all definitely need to get up on that, get your read on, get your education on, because there's gems in this book that we definitely did not learn in school. Um, so shout out to Donya Williams, Arthur Donya Williams for that. Um, so let's get into some podcast topics. Um, these are these are actually questions you sent to me, and I appreciate it. These are things you wanted to um, touch on. So we want to get right to it, and in no particular order. Um, so let's talk about it. You 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 hit me up and said you wanted to talk about how two hundred and forty five years of American slavery, the system disputed and broke your family's tree, and the journey in reconnecting those lost branches of the family, including sharing research tips and tricks. So what's going on with this two hundred two hundred and forty five years of American slavery that you wanted to talk about? Well, um, the thing is, is that I talked to, I, I mentioned Moses Williams, for example. One of the things that I, that I learned in doing my research is that slavery in general is why African Americans are so separated and apart. Um, when you're doing genealogy, you use the word, I was chosen. You're right. I was chosen not just to write the book, but also to do the genealogy. It is not for everybody. And because it's not for everybody, you have, I mean that, I say that by saying, um, you got to be able to accept the stuff that you're going to find. And in most instances, it's very hard and very difficult to accept that you had your, your father, your great, 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 great grandfather owned your great, 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 great grandmother, or that, um, you had cousins that married each other. Yep. This is where the break, the breaking comes apart. See, I had a grandmother by the name of Martha Brooks. She was the one that was owned 
Now, some people don't know what breeding is. Breeding is when you have, just like a dog, you go, you breed your dog, and then you sell your dog. Well, this is what happens with African Americans. Mm. And a lot of people don't believe that that happened. Um, I even have an area in the book where I talk about the fact that there was one group that actually said that, no, breeding could never exist because it would um, mess with the morale of the family. And in messing with the morale of the family, then they would not get the work that they needed done done. Okay, well, that's bull because they didn't really care about the morale of African-American families. Now, you had some good slave owners, as, as good as they could be, but you had some bad ones. And unfortunately, my great-great-grandma, my two-time great-grandmother, was probably a part of the one that was that bad one because he protected his and he, he wanted his and he wanted to make sure his children were fed and properly. And that can't be done if he don't have nobody working in his field to pull his stuff. My aunt, uh, Mama Yoga, she did um, some research. I don't know if she used the um, the, re- the program that you used, but I had asked her um, about a certain name, which is Womack. Womack was my uh, great-great-grandmother's name, I believe. I think great-grandmother's name. Excuse me. Sorry about that. And I'm not a Womack. I never understood why I wasn't. I didn't know that that was our real name. I thought that was a name that she was married into because we had cousins that was named Womack, but I'm, my name isn't that. So I didn't understand it. And I ran into a guy on Facebook and his last name was Womack. And I asked um, him, did he know certain people? And he was like, nah, he don't know them. But his last name was my family's last name. Okay. So, I, so I went to my aunt and I asked her, I was like, hey, I ran into some, a guy named Womack, and, but he's not related to us. And what she told me was that was the slave master's name. So right. our name really, you know, if I wanted, not saying it's that easy, because some people names change over the time. But Womack, mm-hmm. the slave name Womack is still there. And it was easy for us to say, well, we're Womacks. And that was the slave owner's name for us. And my great-grandmother passed away, I want to say, about two years ago. And as I'm reading the obituary, it says that she was married to a guy named Womack. And it didn't make sense to me. How would you marry somebody with the same name? So it kind of goes back to what you were saying, how cousins and was marrying each other, um, Mm -hmm. things of that nature. And like I said, it just blew my mind when I read that. Like, I thought it was a misprint. (laughs) It's like, okay, his name was... No, it's not. It's not a misprint. Huh? It's not a misprint. And I can explain it to you. Basically, what happens is, let's take my great-great-grandmother, for example. Her last name is Brooks. In 1870s, when when black people were first counted on the census record, she... And her children, including my t- my great grandfather Peter, were Brookses. But in 1880, the name was switched to Yeldale. She kept the last name Brooks. So my biggest issue was number one: why did she keep the? Why did she change all of her children that were still young enough? Why did she change their last names to Yeldale? And number two: why did she keep the last name Brooks? It took me, I'm going to say, about 10 years 
to even understand what was going on. Then notice I said understand because I still haven't actually figured out why, but I'm I'm pretty certain that it's because of the fact that Preston was her father, mm. and that's why she kept the Brooks last name because that was her family name. But to this day, I don't know why she had changed my my great grandfather's name last name to Yeldale. I have no idea. One of the things that I do know is that after the Civil War ended and we were realizing that we were free, Black people had the um, opportunity to change their name. Okay. It was that easy. So you could pick a name out the sky if you wanted to. If you were a Brooke, and he was like, you know what, I don't like that name. I, I didn't like my slave owner. I'm changing my name and changing something else. Well, it just so happened that the Yeldells, who were um, quote-unquote good slave owners, that's what ended up my family's last name. So did she take that name simply because they were good slave owners? Or was one of those men, or was was her, the man that she married, because she was listed as a widow in 1880, did the man that she married have the last name Yeldell, and she shared it with them? Right. What is and those are so those are some of the reasons. But to go into as far as the marriage is concerned, now she was a breeder. I found seven. I found and confirmed seven of her children. And um there's there's still more that she had. I don't know who they are. So if they came back and they got and, and then ended up marrying somebody and your DNA got mixed up in it, guess what? You just married your cousin and didn't know it. Right. <laughs> This talks about the broken family tree. This is this is why your tree is broken because you don't know who your family is at this point. We can still do that yeah. now, right? You can still be dating somebody and not know that you're related to that person. Oh, darling, you could be my cousin. That is a fact. <laughs> name Womack is on my tree. Oh, is is in my is one of the surnames that I connected. Womack, see, ah. <laughs> wow. I, yeah. <laughs> That's one of the names that I connect to. It's right at the bottom of the book, Womack. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> it's just crazy. So it, yeah, it just all depends on, you know, like, exactly what it is that you're searching for and, and how you're going to go about searching for because you never know who your family is. You never know. I'm, I've come to the realization that I cannot marry anybody from South Carolina. Mm. Can't do it. I'm not going to do it. If you're from South Carolina, it's not going to happen. And you know what makes it even worse? Is that our family, during the Negro migration, the one between 1910 and 1970, they moved straight up the East Coast. Mm. So they hit D.C., Maryland, Virginia, Delaware, New Jersey, New York. They hit it all. So I had family going straight up the East Coast that I knew nothing about. And until I started doing my research is when I learned it. And the thing is, in D.C., I have so many family members right here in D.C. that I had no clue. And we still, to a certain degree, don't know how we connect. We just know where we connect. And that's Edgefield, South Carolina. Well, I'm glad somebody's doing their research because y'all could be down there hooking up and not know. You know, <laughs> at least somebody's doing some work. Yeah, it's got to be done. It's got to be done. Yeah, um, because I guess you wouldn't really think that if somebody, I don't think nobody thinks that deep. Not 
anybody, but most people don't think that deep that a stranger, you know, you know what? I might be related to this person somewhere down the line. I don't know. I just think we see attractive people. We set it off and we make things happen. But, you know, right. at least you are doing the math. So, yeah, that was a um, dope topic that I knew I could relate to um, is the fact that that was the first time. And I found it out like last year. I'm 34 and I found out at 33 that Womack was actually the slave master's name. I'm thinking that over time, everybody name changes so much that it would take so much to find out who or what plantation, what area that you were actually from. But it was like, nope, that's our name. That's, that's well. That's not. Ne- well, I'm gonna say it like this. That's not. Ne- it, it's true and it's not true. First of all, one of the things that I really, really love about researching is to debunk the comment that most African Americans say. I can't find anything past 1870. Okay. I love the fact that I can debunk that now because Martha Brooks was born in 1834. That's 35, 36 years before 1870. But I found her. You have to just do the work. It's harder for African-Americans. There's no doubt in that. But you have to do the work. Now, I can honestly say that I'm blessed because Edgefield, South Carolina was one of the few places that was burned down during this, after the Civil War. Because, you know, you had Union soldiers going into these southern places and burning these buildings and burning records and things of that nature. Edgefield is a gem. Not one record was burnt. Mm. So I'm blessed and I'm lucky to be able to know that this is where my family actually came from. And as I do my research and start going through all the newspapers, the deeds, the wills, the the land information, probate records, I get to the point where I can find, I may be able to find my family. But I know Edgefield, even though Edgefield didn't get their records burned, there are other places that you can still go and you can still find your family information and you can go back. I've literally gone back as far as my African-American research is concerned. I think my oldest relative is 1769. That's Moses Williams. That's during the American Revolution. Mm. So many gems for this episode. That's my oldest relative. Right, right. Okay, so I guess um, we could spin off that on to the uh, next topic. Um, how millions of Americans from different races, cultures, and ethnicities are connected at the most basic level, DNA, which is kind of like what we were similar to what we were just talking about, correct? Correct, similar. And that Moses is a perfect, that is actually a perfect spin off to come to Moses. Right. So Moses Williams was born in 1769, and I believe in Virginia. He was born to a patriot. Well, his, his grandfather was a patriot by the name of John Williams, who fought in the American Revolutionary War. His father's name was Daniel Williams the second, and um, Moses had 45 children, 40 girls, five boys. Wow. It is through DNA that we have been able, we have something called the Moses Williams Project where me and five other of my cousins have decided to do the research and try to find all 45 children. 
we know that we connect to, each one of us know that we connect to him through a different way. I actually came across him by mistake because I know that his son, Moses Jr., is my three-time great-grandfather. So when I was looking at a site called newspapers.com, I saw this name pop up, Moses Williams. And um, I was dumbfounded because the article was talking about how he looked 50, but he was all of 65. You said he and looked, he looked, he kind of broke up a little bit. You said he looked 50, but he was... 65, actually, in age. Okay. So he was he looked 15 years younger than what he actually was. Okay. He had 45 children, 40 girls, five boys. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, wow, okay. Is this my, is this my three-time great-grandfather? I was kind of sure it was him. And I contacted my cousin Brian and, and he looked at it. And my cousin Brian, that's the one that pushes me. He put him, him and my cousin Sheila, they, they really push me to, to move towards ways that I never thought that I would be able to move towards. And both of them I found via DNA. But um, Brian, you know, was talking to me about that and everything. He said, let me look into this some more. So he and I, we did our own little search and he ended up finding an actual obituary note. For 18, in 1884 for Moses Williams. And that's strange in itself because you wasn't finding obituaries in the paper for black people in eighteen in the 1800s. Right. And one was found for him. And the obituary note said that he was 115 years old. So, and 43 of his children were still living. And I'm looking at this and I'm like counting backwards and, and doing that math again. And I said... Ryan, um, our three-time great-grandfather, Moses Williams, was born in 1791. Who is this? And we realized that was his father. So that's how I ended up finding him. And now, using the information that we have as far as DNA is concerned, we're able to connect people to him through our DNA, through different family members and so on and so forth. So it's, it is literally at the, at, at the basis, it's DNA that connects so many people. And because Moses had so many children and all of his children during that time was having at least 10 children apiece. Mm, probably fathered, yes. <laughs> he probably fathered most of um, South Carolina. The whole county is related. <laughs> The entire county is related. <laughs> wow. I hope yeah. I hope some of those 45 was twins, triplets, quadruplets. I just, I hope moms are spitting them out four at a time. <laughs> so the thing is, you had one woman, he did that with two women. One woman had 22, the other one had 23. Wow. And, and so one of them had two boys and 20 girls. Another one had three boys. And 20 girls. Well, not to cut you off, that's better than I thought. I thought he had about 40 baby moms. I equal that. possible during that time period because he could have been a breeder. Yeah. But that's where my, you know, that's where the gene comes from in our family because my family can have kids. They can just have children. And if you have family that have big, big black families back, they, back then and they was having them babies, that's because somebody in the background was having those babies too. And it was a constant thing and they could just pop them out and without any issue, just pop them out, pop them out. Okay. 
So, it's, yeah, that's where the DNA comes in at. DNA is a dangerous thing in itself. You know, you, um, you have to be ready to deal with that. When I said earlier that genealogy is something that chooses a person, this part of DNA, I know some genealogists that just won't touch. Okay. And that's because you're going to find out information. You can lose family members over stuff, over DNA. Right. You can you can definitely you can lose and I, I don't mean by lose them by finding out that they're not your family. I'm talking about busting those secrets wide open that don't nobody really wants you to know. That is true. That is true. I think every family is hiding something. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And because, some of them don't well, know that they're hiding. Right. And like I said, when we was at my great grandmother's funeral, it it blew my mind of what I was reading. But then when you ask older family members, they were just so calm. Yeah. Like they knew all of these things that y'all knew and I didn't know is like <laughs> it just blew my mind. It wasn't a shock to nobody else what I was reading. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's basically what it is. You have to be ready to take that in or if you're not and you start sharing it. I've had people actually say to me, especially elders, Why are you doing this? Why why are you trying to find this information? And I've told them, um, because I don't want my children going around marrying their cousins. Facts. I mean, I got I got a daughter and a son. Both of them, actually, my I have one daughter and three boys. My daughter, my oldest is twenty four. My youngest is sixteen. My twenty four year old daughter went to school with her cousin since middle school and did not know that this young lady was her cousin until after she graduated and we told her. Mm. And that's the same thing that happened to, I have an autistic son who's 18 now, but when he graduated from sixth grade, he graduated with a, a young man that he didn't know was his cousin, and they fought each other all the time. Mm, they were wow. always bumping in class, always. And we didn't find out until their graduation day that they were cousins. Wow. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's really, it's really, um, a fascinating genealogy is a fascinating thing, but you can lose family members if they don't want you to tell their story or tell their secret. Let me ask you this question, just to put a comedic spin on this topic. <laughs> As African Americans, do you think that we'd be better off dating outside our race then? No, because I'm related to white people too. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> All right. Don't get it twisted. He screwed either way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't get it twisted. White people did the same thing that black people did. Mm. They, they were doing that because, I mean, when I dig, when I dig into Moses Williams' grandfather's blood, they were marrying their cousins left and right. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Preston Brooks' line. They were marrying their cousins left and right. I've been able to dig back into three sets of my, of my white family members. John Williams, which is Moses Williams' Um, grandfather, which would make him my sixth great grandfather. He was married. They, his family, marrying in and out. Then I have another line um, called the Settles. They were married in and out. Then I have the Brooks line. They were marrying in and out. So I know who I have white ancestors and I have black ancestors, and they were marrying each other. It didn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> just just when I thought I had a plan for us to succeed, <laughs> no. So, 
So, um, also, I wanted to talk about what you wrote. You said history is not just about the past. History is about right here, right now. Please explain what you mean by that. Because to some who don't do their knowledge in Google's history is about things that already has happened. And history could be something, quote unquote, like I'm about to make something happen. That's going to be history. Right. So what I mean by that is taking um, John Yeldale, for example, his his particular his particular story is, is parallel to things like Dred Scott, the Dred Scott case, and it I believe happened before it. Uh, I don't want to be wrong, okay, but I I think it happened before the Dred Scott case, but yet it happened. It happened before OJ for certain, for sure. But yet it happened. So these are the the, the repetitiveness of, of the whole thing. Um, we're constantly looking at things that go on. Let's take the Trayvon Martin case. There were things that, that I found in history that were parallel to the Trayvon Martin case. And, and it's all about what, as far as the justice of things are concerned, you have police brutality going on now. Well, it was police brutality back then. I mean, John, John, John was found on the pool pit. When they found John, he was on the pool pit. He was now Reverend Elijah Fleming, and he was on the pool pit, and they arrested him from the pool pit. And when they arrested John, they arrested him because his brother-in-law, somehow they, in South Carolina, they had gotten where he was located. So this was why he was arrested. And then... When the marshals had to come and identify him, they did it without any issue or any problem. At that point, John said, I'm not getting on no train with them because if I get on a train with them, I won't, I won't make it to the next stop. I'm going to die. So this caused a huge, huge, this big battle where it in, involved the senator, senators um, in, the, in the Pennsylvania area, the governor in the Pennsylvania area, the, the governor in South Carolina, so many different activists and so many different people. It caused this big hullabaloo to the point where John was as famous as Frederick Douglass during that time. Mm-hmm. But these are the kind of things that are going on right now. You got Trayvon Martin's case. It made him famous because of what happened. It made George Zimmerman just this most famous person ever that everybody knows that got off on something that he had. That he did do. Right. Now, what if John, let's say John did do this. Well, George did this, but both of them got off. Both of them ended up being acquitted. This is what I mean by history repeating itself. Now, another thing, there was a little girl by, I can't think of her name, but did you know that in 1955, a little girl did the exact same thing that Rosa Parks did? No, say that again. Say that one more time. A little girl when? A little girl back in 1955, and I am so sorry that I did not have her name in front of me, but I'm going to try to find it while I'm talking to you. She did the exact same thing that Rosa Parks did. Mm. The exact same thing. And let me take it back even further, because in 1885 in New York, there was a woman that did the exact same thing that the little girl did on the, um, what do you call them? The, they were the streetcars. 
Okay. She did the exact same thing. So this is what I mean by history repeating itself. If we don't know what's going on, what happened in the past, then we're we're destined to do the exact same thing in the future. Wow. It's, it's no- it's- yeah, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, absolutely nothing new under the sun. Absolutely. I- I've always had this theory that there's a lot of things that get done. And like I said, I don't want to ruffle no feathers or, you know what I mean, for nobody to be too sensitive on this topic. Like, there might have been five Martin Luther Kings. It might have been five Malcolm X's. But for some reason, we always just pick that one to be the face of something, you know. Was Martin Luther King the first to do what he did? Or was he just the first to be recognized for it and celebrated for it? You know, Malcolm X. He was the first to be recognized for it and celebrated for it. The thing that bothers me the most is that in doing my research, now I have an uncle named John Yeldale. (laughs) Right. And my uncle was, there was a, a thing called the National Black Congress or the National Colored Congress. It started out of Howard University. My uncle was a part of that. My uncle was literally a part of the precursor to what we know as the civil rights today. He was a part of that. So was the little girl that did the bus situation and so on and so forth. But you don't hear about them. One particular person and they and they carry. Right. And and that's what it is. But these are people that should have been in history books. When it, it was amazing to me to learn what I learned about my uncle. It really, really was amazing to me to to find out that he did that he basically was the precursor to the civil rights movement. Yeah. A lot of gems. And that was just something that I've always, you know, I've come across and you just, you know, reminded me of it. Like with the Trayvon Martin situation, every situation that we are witnessing has all happened before. Um, There are other Trayvon Martins that is happening now that's just not getting reported. Um, That's right. And a few years. So basically what we can say now today in 2017 and 2000 and 30, let's say, it's going to be another high-profile case like this. But we have to understand that this is happening every day. It's just we're going to use certain individuals as the poster, and we're going to make this into an event as if things like this don't happen every day. Right. Right. Yeah, I I definitely get that. Um, We on fire right now. I'm definitely digging this episode, and I know the listeners are going to dig it too. What I want to do is um, I want you to tell the people where they can find you, um, how they can find you, um, the book that you have. Um, you have another one coming out, or this is the one. It's it's out. So No, I don't have coming out. <laughs> Not anytime uh-huh. soon. I don't have another book coming out anytime soon. Um this is my first book. This actually just came out um, September 21st. Okay. It can be found on um, Amazon.com and on BarnesandNoble.com. Okay. And I'll definitely have those links in the description. Um, you can be found. Is, is, do you want to be found? Do you want to be contacted? Oh, they can. All, I'm open for contact. I have several Facebook pages that I devote to. Um, well, I have one particular Facebook page that I devote to educating.
educating people. I don't care who they are. It's called Today's New Find in Black History. And that particular one gives you some of that information about um, Mr. Abbott, about the young the girl that I was telling you about, about the lady. It just gives you stuff about different people um, as far as, you know, what's going on in African-American history to try to uplift our, our people to understand that they are so much better than they're putting themselves out here to be at this time. Okay. It's not their fault. They're not getting this information. They don't know. Um, I, I, I do this because I feel like, I feel like this. If you are not told that you're beautiful, then you don't know that you're beautiful. Even though you can look at yourself all the time, but you have those that'll tell you, oh, you're so pretty, you're so this, you're so that. It makes you feel better. But the, if it, somebody is constantly telling you that you're ugly, that you amount to nothing, that you're not going to be nothing, then guess what? You're not because it's beating you down constantly. Today's new find lifts you. It lets people know that we can do whatever we want to do. And that this world didn't just get here we we built it. Facts. It's how we built it. And so, I want you to um text me the link to that Facebook page. I'm gonna have all your links. I'm gonna have um the link to the Amazon, the Amazon link for the book, the Barnes and Nobles link, the Facebook link. I just want the listeners to be able to just click it and it'll take them right to it. Sure. And I also have a Facebook page for the book, um, Comes to the Light, and I have a Twitter for the book, Comes to the Light. Right. Okay, I, I need all of that. I want all of that. Send it to me. I'm gonna put it in the description. Um, that's about all I have. I mean, I don't want to give them too much. I want them to crave for more. I want them to hit you up. I want them to um purchase the book, get the book, um, interact with you. You have so many more gems that we could drop drop on this episode, but I don't want to give them too much. Thank you so much. <laughs> Yeah, and I thank you for reaching out to me. Um, you're helping me make my dreams come true by being on my show, whether you believe it or not. Um, I'm appreciative every week I'm able to do this show that people want to come through and talk that talk. And this is the talk that I love. There's so many gems on this episode that I learned and I know that my listeners learned from. And You'll see some traction. You'll see people, you know what I mean, hitting you up. I don't know how many. Maybe one or two, but it's better than nothing. <laughs> but, exactly. Um, yeah. One fan a day. Yeah, um, one fan a day. That's exactly what I'm doing. And my goal really is to get out to a lot of the African-American, African-American radio stations and things like that because I appreciate you because that's where most of my issue is coming in. Like, I can't get into it's almost as if if i'm not famous then they're not gonna contact me mm-hmm. but if i am famous everybody and their mama want to know my business mm-hmm. or want to know what i'm doing right and we gotta stop doing that we gotta don't keep preaching that oh i support black this i support black that and then when one comes at you with something literal that that is legit that they're re- willing to send you stuff for free and giving you because i'm sending you my book I'm, I'm going to send you my book. And I appreciate and, uh, it. Yeah, my, I have new orders coming in next week. So as soon as that order comes in, you will be receiving a book. And, I mean, you know, it's, those, it's these types of things. I know you got to weed out who who's just trying to use you and who's not. But I just feel like 
it's not being done that often in the African-American community. We don't really support each other the way we say we do. And, and I just appreciate you for having me on your show. Thank you. So we did each other a favor. Um, I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of black podcasts and a lot of women that do podcasts. Reach out to other podcasters, man. It's, it's not necessarily the radio, um, but podcasting is where it's at. And I'm pretty sure there are a lot of people who would love to have you on their show. I'm going to keep try- I'm going to reach out to some myself. Um, and I'm gonna try to get you on more shows. I'm because I know a lot of Thank podcasters. You. Hey, man, we we gonna do this. Listen, it's about us. It's about us building. I don't care about who's made it already. You, me, and there's a whole bunch of us. We got to stick together, and we are going to build from the ground up. And we are all going to come up together. This is why I, I, I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. Yep. So uh, once again, I appreciate you uh, coming through Um, this episode. I might put it up Monday or Thursday. I have no idea yet. Um, And I'll let you know I've seen the link. And once again, thanks for coming. But that's all, folks. (laughs) Thank you so much. Crackling fires and silent nights. Fir trees decorated with sparkling lights. Stockings hung by the chimney in a row and a Lexus in your driveway with a giant red bow. These are the signs of the holiday season, and the Lexus December to Remember sales event is the perfect reason to get an ES or LS that's been carefully crafted and incredible offers that feel truly enchanted. But hurry, these offers end January 2nd. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus 30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate.